This afternoon I preach you the Word of God as it is summarized and confessed by the Church in Article 29 of the Belgic Confession, which is found on page 511 of the Book of Praise. The Marks of the True and the False Church. Article 29, here the Church confesses, We believe that we ought to discern diligently and very carefully from the word of God what is the true church for all sects which are in the world today claim for themselves the name of church. We are not speaking here of the hypocrites who are mixed in the church along with the good and yet are not part of the church although they are outwardly in it. We are speaking of the body and the communion of the true church which must be distinguished from all sects that call themselves the church. The true church is to be recognized by the following marks. It practices the pure preaching of the gospel. It maintains the pure administration of the sacraments as Christ instituted them. It exercises church discipline for correcting and punishing sins. In short, it governs itself according to the pure word of God, rejecting all things contrary to it, and regarding Jesus Christ as the only head. Hereby, the true church can certainly be known, and no one has the right to separate from it. Those who are of the church may be recognized by the marks of Christians. They believe in Jesus Christ, the only Savior, flee from sin and pursue righteousness, love the true God and their neighbor without turning to the right or left, and crucify their flesh and its works. Although great weakness remains in them, they fight against it by the Spirit all the days of their life. They appeal constantly to the blood, suffering, death, and obedience of Jesus Christ, in whom they have forgiveness of their sins through faith in him. The false church assigns more authority to itself and its ordinances than to the word of God. It does not want to submit itself to the yoke of Christ. It does not administer the sacraments as Christ commanded in his word, but adds to them and subtracts from them as it pleases. It bases itself more on men than on Jesus Christ. It persecutes those who live holy lives according to the word of God and who rebuke the false church for its sins, greed, and idolatries. These two churches are easily recognized and distinguished from each other. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, every good work of God in this world is defiled by sin, by human pride. For example, the word church is used today to refer to all manner of groups and organizations. In some places, you can find groups of people who call themselves churches even though they don't believe in the Bible and its description of the triune God in all his work. Now, if the true church would be perfect and clearly stood out from these other groups that are referred to in our confession as sects, then it wouldn't be so confusing for us. But even the church that the Son of God is gathering, defending, and preserving has been influenced by the effects of the fall into sin. And so it takes some work to identify the real thing. We confess then that we ought to discern diligently and very carefully from the word of God what is the true church. 
And then Article 29 of the Belgic Confession is very helpful when one church or one federation of churches encounters another church or federation and they, decide, they need to decide if they can support and help one another on the Lord's side of the spiritual battle that we are in. And such a mutual conversation and evaluation of other churches, though it might be common in mission settings, is rare and very occasional in North America. And often it stays at a federation level. A more common use of Article 29 is when people are looking for a faithful church. A person is able to recognize the one holy Catholic apostolic church mentioned in Article 27 by the evidence of God's presence that can be seen in the marks that we confess. The presence of these marks continues to be important for all believers who are in the church. For not only do they serve as a guard against heresy, kind of like a a virus scanner on your computer that is always running in the background, but they also stand before us to assure us of God's presence among us. Article 29 is more than just an instrument or a, a tool of evaluation. Rather, it is a confession of faith concerning the kind of work that God is doing and even doing among us. As we read the words of Article 29, we are led to praise God for the glorious work of Jesus Christ, who does not leave the church without a clear testimony of his presence among us. The gospel message of our confession is that God brings real change into the hearts of true believers and he brings the reality of his promises to bear on the appearance of the church as the Spirit works through the Scriptures. And I preach you this gospel under the theme, The Lord Gives Evidence of His Presence in the Church. We'll see the need for this evidence, the details of this evidence, and the comfort of this evidence. And when you are a member of a local church, you will immediately understand how important it is to have a clear list of the marks of the church that can be for you in your, local, your own local situation. You can see how important it is to have that list. Because the problem that we encounter is that the church is not just an ideal or a concept that we talk about and imagine to exist in some invisible form among the people that we really get along with. When you become a member of a local church, the first thing you notice is that you need to be a part of an assembly of real people, people you know by name, who are actually sinners, just like you. The things that you have done and the things that the people around you who call themselves Christians have done can be very shocking, even disappointing. And we're not just speaking about the hypocrites who are mixed in the church along with the good, and yet, are, and yet are not a part of the church, although they are outwardly in it. The problems of Christ's body that we're talking about are not limited to the dandruff or kidney stones and bad viruses that are closely connected but are not a part of the body's essential character. 
But what makes us wonder about the church is when we, as sincere Christians, when we ourselves sin against one another. We can deal with the Pharisees in in the church. We can deal with them mentally. We can explain them away. But when the King Davids and the Apostle Peters commit grievous sins, it can really make us wonder about the church we are in, especially if those sins are committed against us. Now some of this is a result of our own sinful hearts and our own inability to be gracious and patient, kind, and understanding. But often there's no way of denying that people who call themselves Christians do very bad things. The Corinthians are a famous example of a church with many problems, of people who were doing very bad things. The church of Corinth struggled, and if you, go, if you just flip through the chapters, you can see it. They, they struggled with divisions, we read about that, rejection of the apostles' authority, sexual immorality, lawsuits, marriage problems, food offered to idols, idolatry, oppression of the poor that was made visible at the Lord's Supper celebrations, disorderly worship, influence of false teachers about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, failure to financially support other churches, and a general immaturity in the faith. It would would be hard to believe that this church is the bride of Christ, is his church, if Paul had not addressed the letter, and you read that in verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. And then we see it very clearly. The church is not to be compared to a new car showroom that is always sparkling and clean for anyone who happens to look into it. But it is more like an auto restoration shop with vehicles in all different states of disrepair. The church is a shelter and a home to broken and contrite people whom God gathered together in his grace in order that he might heal them. As a result, there will always be this contradiction between confession and conduct among true members of the body of Christ. You yourselves know that the life of a Christian is a slow progression in spiritual growth along a road that includes very good times and very low and and shameful times. And the fact that the church is made up of sinners, yes, even sanctified sinners or righteous sinners, means that we cannot make the perfection of the members a measure for the faithfulness or the truthfulness of a church. Reading through Corinthians, we see very quickly why we need evidence of God's presence among us in marks that do not change no matter where a church is in its process of spiritual growth. So how can we know that we are investing our time and money in God's kingdom and not in something that some people on earth have have thrown together in just some kind of group or sect? Well, there appears to be many options around us, so the question becomes very, very important to us. And membership in a local church is, is voluntary. 
So how can we be convinced that we are members of a body that is truly the body of Christ? We need to have evidence of God's presence in his church. And we praise God that along with his warnings about hypocrisy and sinners within the church, he also gives us several clear indicators or marks that he is present in a church. And we'll see that in our second point, the details of this evidence. In his grace, the Lord reveals in the scriptures that there are several visible marks of his presence in the church, in, in, in the one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. If we want to use these marks, we first of all have to affirm that the scriptures are the word of God. In John 17, verse 17, the Lord Jesus, praying for his church that was in the world but not of the world, he prayed that the Lord might sanctify them in the truth. And then he explained that God's word is truth. And at the beginning of his letter to the Corinthians, Paul explained that he was called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. It was God's will that his church should be instructed through the very letter that he was writing to them. In the church, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth, the scriptures are God-breathed and useful, we read in 1 Timothy 3, or 2 Timothy 3, useful for instruction, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. In Ephesians 2, verse 20, the Holy Spirit reveals that the church is built on the foundation of the prophets and apostles. And since the Bible is the word of God, the best way to see evidence of his presence is to look for the place of the word of God in your church. Are you encouraged to use the word of God like the Bereans did in Acts 17 to see if the instruction and discipline of your church is from the Lord? The Lord is present where his word is given its divine authority. The foundation and basic mark underlying and determining the other marks of a true church that we confess is given summarily in our confession when we read, in short, the true church governs itself according to the pure word of God, rejecting all things contrary to it, and regarding Jesus Christ as the only head. When the holy and divine scriptures are given authority in a church, then that church will believe what we read in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The Holy Spirit guides us by the word of God into fellowship with Jesus Christ that stands behind and underneath all the gospel proclamation, instruction, and discipline of the church. When Jesus Christ is the head, then the local church will live in direct fellowship with him so that his presence can be seen in the ordination and the work of the ministers, and the elders, and the deacons in the local church. Although, as we confess, the false church bases itself more on men 
than on Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ understands that also the form of government is important. And Christ's presence among us must not be blocked or hindered by any levels of of hierarchy. To live in fellowship with Jesus Christ our Lord is to have his work at the center of all our spiritual life. The voice of the good shepherd Jesus Christ is is heard from the pulpit so that all those for whom he he died can be led by the Spirit through the apostolic preaching of the doctrines of grace alone. And we can see that in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 1 of Corinthians. When we live in fellowship with Jesus Christ, it's also clearly proclaimed through the sacraments of baptism and Lord's Supper, how he made it possible for us to be adopted as children of God in the covenant that God established with believers and their children, to live in fellowship with Christ our head who is in heaven. And when a church is living in this fellowship with God's Son, then the Son's will towards sinners is evident in the patient, loving manner of church discipline that follows the instructions of our Lord in Matthew 18. But you can see another example right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Faithful churches will be patient and loving towards sinners, calling them to repentance with mutual discipline, correcting and punishing sinners with the prayer that they may return in submission to Jesus Christ. Living in fellowship with Jesus Christ doesn't mean being perfect and never sinning, but it does mean that we, even in the midst of our sins, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a defining feature of the churches as we read that in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. And so we can see the evidence of God's presence in the church in the, in the fruit of the word and the sacraments and the discipline. That can be seen in the ongoing sanctification or, or spiritual growth of believers. Spiritual growth, calling on the name of the Lord, pleading to him for forgiveness is evidence of God's presence in a congregation and not perfection. Though we are sinners and we see sinners seated around in, in the pews around us or the chairs around us if we're, if we're in the gym, when those sinners are calling upon the name of the Lord in the midst of their great weakness, if they are fighting against sin by the Spirit all the days of their life, if they are appealing constantly to the blood, suffering, death, and obedience of Jesus Christ, as we confess, that's evidence of God's presence among us. And in your own lives as well, you can see evidence of God's Spirit in your life when you flee from sin, when you pursue righteousness, when you desire to love God and your neighbor without turning to the, to the right or to the left, when you crucify your flesh and its works. In the one holy, Catholic, and apostolic Church of God, the Lord uses the preaching, 
the sacraments and discipline according to his word to carry us through a process of restoration like we might do to our old cars. The triune God does not leave himself without testimony and evidence in the, in the church, in the body of Christ, and in the hearts of true Christians. And so we are always able to live with the comfort of the evidence of his presence in the church. God is present in the church where Jesus Christ is proclaimed. Our joy and our comfort does not come from the church. But our joy and our comfort comes from the head of the church. Our joy and comfort comes from Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The comfort of having God with us is not that now we know that we are the true church and we can maybe even be proud about that. But it means that we can truly share in Christ and all his benefits. In light of the content of this letter, 1 Corinthians, Paul's address to these people, calling them church of God and calling them saints, it's a testimony to the grace of God, the effectiveness of Christ's work and the power of the Holy Spirit. This we rejoice in. This we find comfort in. The faithful church believes the preached gospel of Christ crucified, the power of God and the wisdom of God, like we read in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 23 to 24. And as we see in, in this letter, 1 Corinthians, Christ Jesus is the solution to all our problems and, and he is our comfort in all our sorrows and tribulations. When the Holy Spirit calls the members of the church sanctified, he uses a word that makes it clear that the members of Christ's church have passively experienced the work of the Lord in their lives. God has changed them because they were declared righteous in Christ by grace alone. That's a great comfort for believers. You know that the Lord is present in your church when the complete Christ is preached so clearly that you never feel excluded from his love because of the sins that you are fighting against in your life, the sins that are there against your will. It is comforting to know that God knows that we are imperfect sinners, that he chose the, the weak and the lowly and the despised people of the earth so that he might receive all glory and thanks and praise forever, like we read at the end of 1 Corinthians 1. The centrality of Christ in the midst of a congregation of sanctified sinners is evidence that God is with his church and his people can live in peace with him. At the same time, the introduction to the letter to the church of God at Corinth does not suggest that we should ever be complacent or careless or negligent about living a holy life. Paul addresses people who have been set apart and called by God to be saints. Called to be holy ones, saints. It reminds us of Ephesians 2 verse 9 
where the church recognizes that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Reminds us of Ephesians 4 verse 1, where the Lord urges the church to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. When God places us in fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, as as a part of His body, there will be fruits of our relationship with Him. It will be possible to see that a, a person is a part of the body of Christ by their lives because God uses us as members of His church in the very restoration of the church. He uses us as well in the restoring work of the church. Although we are broken cars ourselves, we are placed in this auto-restoration shop of the church and used as instruments of God to help one another. And so rather than accept sin and weaknesses in ourselves and, and in others, we will confront sins in others like a true friend. We will support one another in our spiritual struggles, not just in words, but also in deeds. If we see something missing in our local church, in our local congregation, we will take action. We will do something about it, knowing that this is further evidence that God wants us to be in this faithful church at this time. He is using us also for the edification of fellow believers. And this evidence of our role in the giving and and receiving in the communion of saints is a great comfort for all those who are called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, even in the midst of great disappointment in the church, in failure and weaknesses among sinners, we find comfort in the hope of the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ when the church will be holy and blameless without spot or blemish. And when we see the evidence of God's presence among us today, even in the midst of much weakness, even as we're called to contribute with our gifts, to serve or to maybe fill in something that is lacking, we may be comforted in the sure promise that one day the church will stand before the Lord blameless and unafraid. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 8 gives us the amazing promise that the Lord will sustain us to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are comforted by Christ's enduring love for the church. The certainty that those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. You could tell that you are in a true or a genuine church if God's life-changing and preserving grace stands at the center of all our worship, gives hope to us in the midst of of all our weaknesses. The evidence of God's presence among His church today is a guarantee that He will preserve and sustain us 
in the end. God will not allow his elect to be lost. And in the end, we will see that every church that governed itself according to this word of God in the truth of the gospel of of Christ's amazing work will stand before the judgment seat of the Lord confident and unashamed, even as we prayed this morning for our young Fraser. Jesus Christ, we sang, is the one foundation of the church. And if you look at 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 to 15, it takes that starting point. Jesus is the foundation. And then comes the warning. And each one must take care how he builds on that foundation. For the quality of each one's work will be manifest in the fire of judgment day when it tests what each one's work what sort of work each one has done. And on that day, it will be easy to recognize and distinguish the true and the false churches that are scattered all over the world. And until that day, let us obey God's call to be saints together with all who call on the name of the Lord. Let us recognize Christ's one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church by the marks of the preaching and the sacraments and discipline that are based on the word of God as we proclaim Jesus Christ, our fellowship with Christ, and praise the Lord that we may be a living and active member of this church. As 1 Peter 2, verse 9, the display text that we saw as we walked in here this afternoon, it says so beautifully, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen.